0: So, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to our stage for the final time as Senior Pastor Dr. Larry Fold. Thank you, Daddy. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) All right, come on. You guys just want me to start crying before I start. Thanks a lot for that. Thank you, Pastor Danny, Dr. Strange, about to be... Don't you love the fact we're going to have Dr. Strange as a senior pastor? (laughs) I've been telling people that, yeah, our new pastor, his name's Dr. Strange. They go, what? (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, it's such a blessing. You know, seriously, yesterday I was so surprised. Last night, my, my... kids from Oregon fly into town. They were supposed to come tonight, I thought. So they show up last night, big surprise. And I'm like, what? It's crazy. They're sitting right down here. Jack, Jack. My little Jack is here today. How long will he make it through the service today? I don't know. But anyway. So it's so great to see them. And then just about an hour later or so, my, my sister Sarah from Minnesota flies in. And uh, love her so much, and she's here with us this morning, and I think my sister Nancy is going to drop in another service. She lives locally, but uh, thank you so much. Uh, I feel so touched and blessed by all of you this morning. You all mean so much to me, and I'm not going to get started now. It'll probably come later in the sermon, so uh, how much I love you. A colleague and dear friend of mine sent me this text last night, preach as if to preach never again, a dying man to dying men. That's Richard Baxter, uh, a Puritan 17th century great pastor and preacher, Uh, and so I take that to count today. And I want to just take a minute and thank all of you for cards and notes and emails and texts over the last couple of weeks leading into today, and my dear friend Rob Hall is here. He's a senior pastor across the bay, and just people that have just sort of showed up at different times and saying thank you and love you and pray for you, and and I just feel so loved and blessed, and, and I'm just so grateful for all of you. Thank you. And this is a special day for me, for us. I knew this day would come, the day when my last sermon as senior pastor would be preached. And when occasionally thinking about this over the years, I didn't know if I would actually know on the last day of my preaching if it would be my last day preaching. Um, like our former first pastor of this church, Earl Sexhauer, he preached a message, went home and later that week died of a heart attack in, as a 40-year-old man. And so... You don't know when your last sermon's going to be, but I thought if I, if I did know when my last sermon would be, I would want to put my best effort into it. And, uh, and so here we are today. I've had the privilege of knowing this was my last Sunday, and if God by His providence got me to this day, uh, this is what I would preach. So if you haven't uh, done so, you might know where I'm going today. Philippians chapter one, please. I want you to open your Bibles. We're gonna look at a beautiful little text that we started last month in the month of November when I preach to you about what I'm thankful to God for about you in this place and we took this text that Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 1 verses 3 through 8 and just spoke about all the things that Paul was thankful for and they sort of framed a a message that I wanted to say to all of you how thankful I am for you and then he pivots in verse 9 and he said and this is my prayer and he goes on to pray for some things, and when I exposed this text to you the last time, when I preached in this context, I said, this is the message I'm going to bring today. It's verses nine through 11, because today is, um, it's about thanking God for all his work, but it's really about my prayer for you, my prayer for us, my prayer for our church going forward, the church that the Lord has given to us here. So follow along as I read in verses nine through 11. That little short prayer is the prayer that I have for you, for us, for me today. It's a prayer for the three crosses. And I can't think of anything more important than these things that Paul is praying for at the church at Philippi. And so right now, I want you to open your heart in this little short section of scripture and hear what the Spirit of God says to any and all of us who are a part of this community. And by the way, we will never be these things that Paul is praying for unless we as individuals embrace these things. This is not a message to a corporate group, it's a message to hearts, it's a message to individuals to say, am I these things that Paul is praying for that the Word of God is showing us today? Four things I want you to see and I think you've already seen them, they're very simple. But my prayer, and by extension for each of us and to this ministry, may God give us grace to be a loving community. Let's just say that together, a loving community. I love this text because Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Sometimes we forget that the most important characteristics of our lives and ministry is love. Jesus said the greatest command is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. He said on these two things hinge all the law and the prophets. And sometimes because this is so boilerplate to us, we just forget the power of love. But let's just take a moment and rehearse a little bit of what Jesus said about love and what the Scriptures say about love in other places. In John 13, 34 and 35, let's read it together. Jesus said, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our love is to be sincere. Romans 12, verse 9. It's easy to fake love. It's easy to give words, but are we really loving? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians 5.22, we spent a lot of time over the last several months talking about that beautiful virtue of the Christian life. And so for many of us, love is just rhetoric. But I am praying that love would not be the rhetoric of our church, but it would be the reality of our church. That when people meet us, become acquainted with us, connect with us, engage with us in this culture, what they experience, what they go away with is that this is a group that fiercely loves each other and fiercely loves this community, that we're not afraid to love. You have to be vulnerable to love. You have to let down your guard to love. And we forget the power of love when it is seen coming from our lives. I was touched this last week getting an email from one of our workers who works in our food pantry and just giving us a little bit of a, a window into what God's been doing in that ministry over the last year. 72,000 meals provided through our food pantry program. In the last couple of months, 70 new families jumping in and being apart because they don't have the means to afford food, to put food on the table for their families. And here we are as this little church that's not... You know, I mean, there's so much more that we could be doing. But people who are saying, we feel so loved by this community called Three Crosses. Some of them are just getting to know us. They don't even know anything about us other than we supply food for them in a time of need. The power of love is incredible. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, look, you can have... You can have benevolence to take care of the poor, you can have faith to move mountains, you can do all these things, but if you don't have love, you're just making noise and you're really nothing. Love is patient, it's kind, it, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. In fact, Paul says it never fails. And I just wonder if we really believe that. I wonder if we really harness in our hearts the power of love and I, this is for me as it is for you. I did a, a funeral service yesterday for a 102 year old woman. <laughs> I mean she lived a long time. She had 49 grandkids and 47 great grandkids. Huge crowd, I didn't know what to expect. I walk in this funeral home down in South Hayward and just the place is packed and all these people different six different generations and of of, uh, all different ethnicities it was just amazing experience and as people got up and shared the thing that just touched me about it was that person after person getting up grandchild great-grandchild nieces and nephews standing up and saying the thing about Isabel was she loved me no matter what she loved me no matter what that was a phrase I heard yesterday all through the day She loved me no matter what. And I thought to myself, do people say that about me? Do they say that about our church? Do they say that about three crosses? When people think about three crosses, there's a place that loves me no matter what. Paul prayed that our love would abound more and more. In fact, the New Testament writers viewed love as the the one discernible mark of those who claim to belong to God. Think about 1 John 3.14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. I mean, you want assurance of the fact that you're saved? Look at your love life. Look at how you're loving others because it's the one discernible mark. In fact, he goes on in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Let, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Amazing. I can't think of anything more powerful than the power of love in the context of relationships. But notice, Paul says, at the end of verse 9, he says that our love should be abounding more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So right there we know that this love that we're talking about is not sloppy sentimentalism. You know, when the world says, can't we just love each other? The world is not always embracing the biblical concept of love, is it? Because the biblical concept of love is a fierce kind of acceptance and love that no matter what you do, no matter who you are, I'm still going to love you, but my love is not going to just be sentimental. It's going to have teeth and grit and power alongside of it. Now, I know that one of the things that I've really asked God to give me over the course of my ministry is love. You know, it hit me when I was starting out in ministry and, in fact, becoming the senior pastor of this church. It hit me that, uh, you know, I may not be the greatest orator. I may not have the greatest, you know, leadership skills. I I, I lacked in a lot of areas. And I came across uh, that beautiful reminder that Paul gave to Timothy in chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4.12, where he says, Let no one look down on you for your youthfulness, but rather in speech, life, love, uh, faith, and purity, Be an example to those of those who believe. And that verse sort of changed my world because what that told me was that regardless of whatever perceived lack I had, if I really loved, it would be all right. If I lived as an example, it would be all right. If I spoke with integrity, it would be all right. And so for the last whatever years that I've been in ministry, I've leaned on that verse in a sense of saying that I don't have to have all the skills, but I do have to love. And love can break through and over and sort of rescue all the lack in my life, the conduct of my life, the speech of my life, the faith of my life, the purity of my life. All of those things count in measureless ways more than the skills that I thought I should have. And so it's been something that I've held on to. But when we love the way God wants us to love, it's not sentimentalism. It's sometimes very in fact, sometimes that love comes in a hard hitting way. Like some of us, and I know there's a family in our church who's dealing with a, an adult child who's addicted to alcohol and for the last couple of weeks it's been this, we were on the phone this week just crying together, he and I, this father and myself as we were weeping over the situation of his son. And hard and tough love is being demonstrated because he's, his life is out of control. And it doesn't look to the son like the parents are loving him because they're saying, you can't live here, you can't, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And if you've been in that kind of situation where you've had to demonstrate tough love and it kills you from the inside, your heart is being ripped out, but you're loving them enough to say, no, you cannot cross this line. And until you realize that your life is out of control, you're gonna just have to realize that you're in God's hands and you're out of our hands, that kind of thing. And I know that in a crowd this size, there's a lot of folks that are having to give tough love to people. So love doesn't always look like love. It doesn't always feel like love. Amen? But in the arc of our lives, people know whether we really love or whether we're just sort of in it for ourselves. That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians Chapter three, he prayed for the Ephesians that they might grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that what? That surpasses knowledge. Wow. There's a love that goes beyond definition. A love that goes beyond uh, uh, checking a box. It is indescribable, inexplicable. It just... It just knocks us over, and if you've ever been loved like that, and I don't mean told that you're loved, but you feel you're loved, there's power in that that is just unbelievable, and I've been a recipient of your love to me, and I hope you've been a recipient of my love for you, and I hope that every person in this congregation today will vow before God that we would all be vessels that would demonstrate the love that Christ has one to another into a world out there that desperately needs to know his love. I pray that we will be a loving community. I pray that as for as long as God gives us breath, this will be a place known for its love. No matter who you are, no matter what background you have, no matter where you're coming from in life, that when you walk in these doors, you are fiercely loved. I don't even know if that's the right word. Fiercely love, it sounds like a contradiction. But that there is so much love poured out upon your life that you could not resist the beautiful claims of the gospel in your life. This is my prayer that we would be a loving community. This is my prayer that God may give us grace to be a discerning community. Number two, let's say that, a discerning community. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This discernment piece is linked to our proficiency and practice in loving God and others. In the Greek language, there's what's known as the Hena Clause. It's it's the so what. It's the so that. It's what really matters. And what Paul is saying here is he links this idea of a loving community with a discerning community so that we may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. And what Paul has in mind here for the Philippians and what I trust has in mind for us, and he does by extension all of us are the recipients of this letter just like the, Philippi- the Philippians were, is that we would also see that one day we will stand before Christ. and We will give an account for our lives and we want to in that day stand there as, as blameless And pure, not in sort of a sterile way because all of us are sinners and we're going to continue to we're all broken and we've got junk in our lives and things that God is clearing out, but that there is a a positional sense of what God has done in our hearts to cleanse us and make us his own, which gives us a sense of discernment, a sense of what's best for this community, our lives personally and what's best for this community. You know, our community of Three Crosses has valued since its inception a careful and even guarded sense of making sure we're thinking through things carefully, that we're not just moving in blind ambition toward what we want to do. We've been careful not to uh, just adopt fads or what other churches are trying to do. We're carefully sensing that God has placed a DNA in our church, that He has gifted and blessed and And brought many people under the sound of the gospel through it. And so we've been very careful to to not lose the the lane that God has placed us in. What I would call a gospel-centered, biblical-focused ministry. And over the years, I've witnessed churches and pastors drift in this culture toward either on one side a a liberalism that discounts the authority of Scripture and the mandate for the Gospel, and on the other, a strict conservatism that while being true to doctrine loses impact for the Gospel. In other words, they're true to the the doctrine, but really not to the heart of the Gospel. And so they've lost their audience. And there are churches all over us in this community that are on one side or the other of that equation. And we have worked hard to stay in the lane of balance where we stay true to doctrine and we fiercely love a, a community of people that are far from God. And this is not easy. This takes godly discernment. And one of the things you can be praying for, Pastor Danny and our leadership, as we move forward, is for godly discernment and for the direction that God would have for our ministry as we hold out the word of life. And that's because ministry is messy we don't always do things right. We might discover a strategy that isn't working and we need to change it and change is hard. But the only thing that stays the same is change. And we've got to embrace that as a church and recognize that there are things that are coming that, that will necessitate change. My friend Tony took me for a ride in his Tesla car the other day. And I've never been in a Tesla car and I have to say the, the gadgetry and the... the just the, the amazing, uh, I don't know what, how to describe this. It's just it, He goes, watch this, we're going down Highway 880 in the flow of traffic, and he says, watch this, let's go autopilot for a minute. And he, puts this, he pushes a button, and he takes his hands off the wheel, and he tucks his feet up under the seat, and, and, the, and then he punches in a direction where we're going to go, and the car is changing lanes, blinkers, braking, moving in space and everything's, and I'm going, what? <laughs> I mean, this is freaking me out. He, I said, Tony, how did you get used to it? He goes, it's really hard to get used to when you take your hands off everything and you just trust that this thing is gonna keep you where, you're, where you need to go. And I mean, seriously, it was a mind blower. And I kept thinking to myself, I would love to have one of these cars. <laughs> I mean, it was so cool. But I thought to myself afterwards, I thought, you know, ministry, we, we, we wish there's this autopilot button that we could push. You know, as a pastor, I wish I could find that button on the console of ministry where I could just push it and say, we're going to stay in the fairway, we're going to be where God wants us to be, we're going to just negotiate all these things, it's going to happen automatically, we just sort of take our hands off everything and let God just direct us as just autopilot, and I've learned over the years that just does not happen. It requires people to trust the Spirit of God and move in cadence with the Spirit of God and listen for the Spirit of God and pray on their faces before God and until and, and or unless we hear from God, we don't move. The pillar of fire and smoke in the Old Testament, we don't move until God tells us to move. And we have made mistakes over the years. I have made mistakes. I have done things where I should have prayed longer and thought more meaningfully or talked to more people and, And there were seasons where things were really disruptive in my life and in ministry and didn't have to be. And I just wanna just charge all of us and pray that we would stay in the cadence of the Spirit, that we would be a discerning congregation, that we would play our part in praying for leadership, our governing eldership, Pastor Danny and his leadership council, of which I am not a part. I am one of the pastors on our staff, but out of the realm of that leadership structure purposefully so that I wouldn't unwittingly create, you know, some different direction. I know some of you say, what? You know, like Larry, you could bring, and, we've ta- and maybe at some point, the point is, this is now a new season. This is now a new leadership, and, and me, my part and our part is to pray for discernment and to trust God to lead Pastor Danny and this church into this next season of ministry when I think of the challenges we face as a church in navigating things in our culture, boy, do we need discernment. I mean, let's think about, I'm just going to throw some topics out, sexual ethics and gender. We, we need discernment. How do we love a people that are morally opposed to what the scriptures say? How do we love them so fiercely that they might listen to the gospel? This is is on a new watch in this ministry. This has been something that we've been praying through and working hard to develop and it's, it's going to require much more. Or even gender roles in the church. You know, so often I've thought in the last couple of years our leadership team has been talking about we need to have more women involved in our ministry doing things that men do. The only office, in the, the, the office of eldership in the New Testament is required to be a man. Every Gifts of the spirit are not gender specific. And so a woman can have the gift of teaching, she could have the gift of exhortation, she could have a pastor shepherd gift, all of these things. You hear from me every week because we've chosen that an elder, the main elder of our church, would preach and teach the word of God. But we have lovingly and tried to sensitively say to people that in communities, and yes, even here on this platform, there would be nothing unbiblical about a woman that had spiritual gifts bringing the word of God. But some of us wouldn't be ready for that. And I'm just just saying that these are things that have been on my heart because women are amazing. In fact, if I were honest, I would say that we've got so many amazing women in this church that do so much incredible ministry. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. That it started very weak and it got a little stronger. That was <laughs> some of the guys are going. Yeah, okay. No, I'm just you know, I'm serious. I am so proud of the women in our church. Godly women who pray long, pray longer than many of our men. Love the word of God. Divest themselves in the word of God. Like many men, I don't know. I am so grateful for the women in our church. Race relations, that's something that needs discernment. How do we navigate in a culture where there's so much hate around race relations? How about politics? Oh, man. And all of these things remind me that the church is not about, the church's focus is not on any of these things. Do you hear me say this clearly? The church's focus is not race relations, gender, sexual ethic. That's not the focus of the church. But we've got to navigate all of that stuff if we're going to reach a culture that is inbred with all of this. And I, I love the fact that this couple weeks ago, I got an email from one of our partners in ministry. You know, we serve uh, the church in China. And one of our partners, Barnabas, sent me an email, uh, and to others too, of a pastor in China who, his, pastor, his name is uh, Wang Yi. Wang Yi. He's a part of a big house church movement and of course the, new cur- the current leadership in China is cracking down on the church um, and, and there's a lot of persecution and, and this church, this house church uh, consortium of house churches were being interrogated and, and, and many arrests were made and, and some were being thrown in jail and Pastor Yi decided he would write a declaration In case he was arrested, he wanted the culture to know. And I'm going to read just a couple of snippets out of his declaration and and just to kind of frame what I'm saying here. He says, all hideous realities, unrighteous politics, and arbitrary laws manifest the cross of Jesus Christ. The only means by which every Chinese person must be saved. They also manifest the fact that true hope and a perfect society will never be found in the transformation of any earthly institution or culture, but only in our sins being freely forgiven by Christ and in the hope of eternal life. As a pastor, my firm belief in the gospel, my preaching, and my rebuking of all evil proceeds from Christ's command in the gospel and from the unfathomable love of that glorious king. Every man's life is extremely short, and God fervently commands the church to lead and call any person to repentance who is willing to repent. Christ is eager and willing to forgive all who turn from their sins. This is the goal of all the efforts of the church in China, to testify to the world about our Christ, to testify about the kingdom of heaven, to testify to earthly, momentary lives about heavenly, eternal life. This is also my pastoral calling that I have received. And then he speaks of his need. To disobey the corrupt laws of the state. And listen to what he says. And by the way, he was arrested as well. And listen to what he says. He says, But this does not mean that my personal disobedience and the disobedience of the church is in any sense fighting for rights or political activism in the form of civil disobedience, because I do not have the intention of changing any institutions or laws of China. As a pastor, the only thing I care about is the disruption of man's sinful nature by, the faithful, by this faithful disobedience and the testimony it bears for the cross of Christ. Wow. Pastor Yee has discernment, and we need it too, because we are living in a minefield where Every move can be interpreted by one group or another. And our sole desire is to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to free any man, woman, or child from the cords of death and the wrath of God and be freed into a life of total and complete joy and peace in Christ alone. This is our passion. I pray that God would give us grace to be a loving community a discerning community. I'd also pray that God give us the grace to be a fruit-bearing community. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The filled with the fruit of righteousness, that's something I'd like to commend to all of us. During this time of transition, I've had people ask me if I've had any fears about leaving my post as senior pastor. I think they're wondering how I might function as a pastor if I'm not sort of the guy in charge. But to be honest, I have no fear of that Whatsoever, I have absolutely zero fear of how am I going to function as a guy not in charge. In fact, to be honest, I'm a little relieved. <laughs> <laughs> you know my real fear? Here's my real fear. Is that all the things I thought was fruit would not be fruit. All the things I thought would deepening people's life and their commitment and their joy in Christ was hinged and tethered to a guy and not to Jesus Christ. That's my fear. And I guess time will tell. I've had some conversations with a few, not many, thankfully, but a few people who have teasingly said things like, you know, since you're stepping out, maybe it's time for me to step out too. And they kind of joke about it a little bit, like, and I don't mean like they don't like Danny. I mean they're just saying, you know, we're older, we're the older generation, let's let the younger generation do it. Time to just kind of put it in neutral. And I hope and pray that everyone here will double down. I, I wanna talk to those of us that, and I know the 30th of December is not the Sunday where you're preaching to everybody that's in your church. You know, So many people are not here, but and you're probably the core. Some of you came away from vacations to be here on this last Sunday. But I want to challenge all of us. I want to challenge especially that person who sort of dabbles at their faith. You're sitting here today and you occasionally show up. Perhaps you've, you've got a, a sensitivity to the gospel. You're, you know, you're sympathetic to the claims of Christ. You, you have a, an affinity for our church and maybe even more for our coffee shop. You've got, you've got you know, all these things. But, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not on fire in your spirit for what God wants to do in this place. And I am praying, I am praying that there will be such a movement of God that would come over this place that we would have only experienced under my little time as senior pastor, the tip of the iceberg of what God wants to do, that there is much more that he wants to do. And don't you think that, you know, if you're sitting here, the last 20 some years have been so great, oh Larry, I I hope you're saying, God, make the next 20 years 10 times, 100 times greater. Because that's what God, that's the heart of the Father. Greater things will you do, Jesus said when he was leaving his disciples. Mm. And don't forget, when you think about the fruit of righteousness, that's not checking a box, it's not church attending, it's not giving money to the offering. The fruit is being more like Christ. 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to be to, to live in him must walk as Jesus did. We really don't need more of anything around here than the life of Jesus. Would you agree? I mean, we don't need anything more than the life of Jesus. And Jesus said, No branch. John 15, 4 and 5, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is God's desire, that we would bear fruit, that this would be a fruit-bearing ministry. The greater things are yet to come. We're going to see God do amazing things because we are a loving community, a discerning community, and a fruit-bearing community. I hope you'll join me in this, that you will pray that by God's grace we will be a fruit-bearing community. And lastly, may God give us grace to be a community that always brings glory and praise to God. Would you say that with me? Glory and praise to God. You know, this hit me really hard in the last couple of weeks coming into today. You know, God's glory is what every person in church must have in mind at the start of any worthy effort or journey. But it's also something must, that must continue as we move along in this journey. The emphasis of our lives And our ministry must always be the glory and praise of God. This ministry has never been about a person. It's been about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the God-man. So in that sense, yes, it's been about a person. It's been about Jesus. But it's not been about a pastor. It's not been about a leadership team. It's not been about a tremendous facility. It's not been about any of those things. Unless by means of our flesh we have sunk into times where we have thought it was about us, thought it was about me, thought it was about something much lesser. Our lives really mean nothing if it isn't the glory of God motivating us and moving us. Monuments of men will eventually erode and fade, but God's glory is eternal. It's what everything should be about And so here we are. A new chapter in our church's history is about to begin. With the most fond affection I have for you in this place we know as three crosses, I charge you to be a community that abounds in love, a community that discerns what's best, a community that bears the fruit of righteousness, and a community that is consumed by the glory of God. I have no regrets. There are a few things I wish would have gone differently, but I have no regrets. I can't think of a better church to pastor. I can't thank God enough for this congregation, our governing elders, my physical family, those of you that have been my spiritual fathers and mothers. Brothers and sisters, daughters and sons, I love you so much. But if God gives us grace to be these things, loving, discerning, fruitful, exalting, oh, what a future we have. Yesterday, Chris sent me an email and he said, hey, how do you want this thing set up today? Do you want to be in the chair and the little table? Or do you want the stairs in the pulpit? And at first I was thinking I wanted to be in the chair. I wanted to just be close. I wanted to be right next to you and just speak to you like my family, like you are. But then I thought, you know, it's been a while and I've had on my heart the last couple of weeks the Lord has been sort of tugging at my heart to just do an invitation. And maybe this would be a time where Some of us would say, you know, one or more of these areas need to be put together a little bit more in my heart. I mean, if this church is going to be a loving community, I need to be a loving person. If we're going to be a discerning community, I need to be discerning and pray for discernment. If we're going to be fruitful, I need to ask God to, I need to abide in the vine so that I can be fruitful. I don't know what God's saying to you today about But I wonder if there's someone here today that would like to join me right here and pray. Maybe we need to get on our knees and pray that God would make us first and this church these things. And there may be someone here today that has never stepped over that line of faith over the Christmas break, over the Christmas which was so beautiful We gave out 1,039 of these little following Jesus packets. All that seed that goes out, I just am so grateful for what God did in that time. And I thought the Holy Spirit yesterday, I took a little bicycle ride and I felt like the Holy Spirit saying, why don't you give people an opportunity to make a public profession of faith tomorrow? And just as people come, I don't know who's gonna come, but just come and pray, just pray that God, just pray that God would just move in our church in, in an unprecedented way. Just you and God alone. And I know for some of us it's hard to get out from anywhere. But I'm, I'm just going to invite you to do it. Come down, pray. We're going to sing a song that I've asked our, our worship team to lead us in. It's one of my favorite worship songs above all. But if you want to receive Christ today, I'm going to stand down here for a little bit of this time. And I want to give you this packet and I, I want to just honor God and recognize what he's doing in this place today. So I'm going to stand here with these packets. As many that would like to come, come. We can, we'll make as much room. You can come up on the platform. You can come wherever you want to come. That this would be a place where you say, God, I want this in my life. I want this in our church. Praise God. Let's worship the Lord. And I'm standing right here, and I'm ready to give to anyone who wants to follow Christ.